0: Everyone, welcome to M4G Advocacy Media. You're watching A uh, Journeys Guest Upd- Guest Updates, which is a new series we started. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm a brown man with brown shirt and brown background. That's a lot of brown. And uh <laughs> I've got uh painting and shelf with some knickknacks behind me. I'm wearing glasses, crystal. I'm Christola.
1: I have today I have on a black shirt with a, a black and white shirt with the red stripes and a brown background and a clock on the shelf and I'm a white woman uh, with glasses, brown eyes and brown hair.
0: Um, today we're catching up with the with one of our favorite guests from um, from almost a year ago, um,
2: Lisa Lewis. Hi, Lisa. Hi, hey, Mark hey. and Crystal. So um, I'm Lisa and I have very fair skin that matches my very pale pink scarf with a pale pink shirt. And I'm wearing glasses and have kind of reddish brown hair. And my background is a very fuzzy, faded Zoom technique of fading your background to fuzziness because my office is in an attic filled with clutter. So I've <laughs> chosen the Zoom background that fades your background <laughs> so no one can see how messy my attic office is. Nice to see you two again after almost a year. Nice, nice to
1: you, see you too. Thank you so much for all of your support and. Yeah was so awesome to keep up with you and what you're doing. And we want to know there's so much to ask you. I'm so excited.
2: Well, it's good to see both of you too. And I, since I did our first pre-interview and the full interview, um, which a lot of uh, people that follow my website, hikingautism.com, mm-hmm. a lot of people watched those interviews on your YouTube channel. And really I felt like that was very nice for the people that like my website to tap in and see the broader scope of um disability issues right. that your podcast covers. I think that was really eye-opening for um, you know, the friends and followers of the because my website relates to autism, because I have, as you know from our previous conversations, I have two sons, but my younger son uh is affected by severe autism. So that was the focus of our discussion before. Um, And of course, my life is still 10 months later, very affected by autism. But I I have to say thank you to you two, because um, number one, uh, being exposed to your podcast was great for me to sort of get a broader view of disability issues that I wanted to be more aware of and more in tune with because it reflects some of the things I'm trying to do for the autism community helped me to see the broader scope of what you talk about. So that's one point. And the other one that I wanted to mention is that after doing my podcast interview with you two, I also had an opportunity to do another podcast interview with a person. The host doesn't His podcast is not about disabilities. It's about inspiring people um, when they've gone through difficult challenges in life. And I thought Perfect Match for me had a great conversation with him. But as it turns out, this podcast host happens to be blind. And he mentions that a little bit in his bio describing where he comes from for his podcast viewers. But that's not the focus of his podcast. It just happens to be a fact about him. But it really, since talking with you and doing that interview, it just made me all the more aware of that. Because my son's autistic, I focus on the autism issues. But um, I realized that there are a lot of things that I've been missing um, when I talk about my son's issues, because he's so visually oriented. I talk about visual supports and beautiful nature photographs and things that I use in my tools for my son. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, that podcast host can't Mm -hmm. see those things. So I thought that maybe I need to broaden the way I share information. And I'm not quite sure how to do that well yet, but it just speaking with you and doing that podcast interview, which were both great experiences, made me want to uh, be better at interacting with people with a wide range of issues because sometimes we don't see that or people don't tell us that and I just want to be more aware of what I can do to be better.
1: Yeah, I've talked to so many people recently. Um, I love that you're wanting to figure out how to do that and I can get you in contact with several people that know some of that information so
2: that'd be great yes thank you I would like because I'd like to add some steps into my website or in the messages that I share there to just broaden people's horizons a little bit Yeah. yeah we're really grateful for that because that's
0: that's the I mean there there are a lot of practical steps that everyone has to go through but Wanting to be a better person is the first key step, and mm-hmm. then the rest kind of just falls into place.
2: Exactly. You know, um, because we share enough sort of situational things, and we've spoken before. All of this makes sense to us when we say it. But an interesting experience that would might be interesting to you too, because you do this podcast. One of the things I've been trying to do from before we spoke is I've been working on a book project because I'd like to, you know, we talked previously about isolation for people in the disabilities world and for our son and for our family, isolation has been a big issue. So all these, for years now, I've been trying to um, get a book ready to try to get a book published that's going to share some message about that isolation as an individual and as a family and to be able to share that. So the process of working on a book is very daunting and, and hard to do, but in the process of doing that, so that's still something I'm working on. But in the process of doing that, I recently, sometime in the last two or three months, I took a class from a professional like publishing Uh, marketing kind of person. And she gives a class about how people who are trying to get a message out, you know, what are the techniques you can use to do, say, a radio interview or a podcast interview or do an article. So she was training, uh, most of them were would-be authors, and she was training people about what, you know, how to interact in an interview. And she asked for people to share their stories. And I told this group and they were all from the normal world. They all had some sort of a book topic, none of which was about any kind of disability. It was just the broader scope of things people might write a book about. I was the only one that was dealing with disabilities. And so they were asking for people to share some insight they'd gotten from the experience they had done doing some kind of an interview. And I said, well you know, because my son has a very difficult time processing language, I have to learn to speak slower because my instinct is to speak a thousand miles an hour and to jump in and interrupt people and to not wait for people. So that's a challenge for me in the normal world. I kind of bulldoze my way in speaking too quickly and not leaving space for people. That's already a challenge for me. But if you have any partner that you're speaking with, who has any kind of language processing issues, whether it's auditory, that it takes longer to process this words coming in, or if it takes takes more time for whatever, like muscle connection and brain word connection to get language out. For me, that's a challenge I've had to work with in this situation. And so I mentioned that that's something, when I do a podcast with somebody who's related to disabilities, that I have to think about who the listeners are or who I'm speaking to that I need to mellow out my speaking speed and weight. And then I mentioned also the podcast interviewer who happened to be blind and that there were extra issues in terms of that with setting things up and that I was talking all about visual things and not, you know, I thought, well, he can't really appreciate, how can I share better with him? So anyways, this person who's been in the profession of teaching people how to do PR and marketing interviews, she just stopped and she goes, I have never thought about any of those issues once ever. And Mm -hmm. that really hit me that she's a professional (laughs) in that field, teaching people to go out in the world and do, you know, interviews and communications. And those thoughts had never occurred to her. And it made me realize how isolated our pocket of the world is in the disabilities world—that really surprised me.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Can
0: we can we uh, slow down and unpack one of the points you brought up? Um. So and which is, which is a key thing that most people miss. Um, and let's just speak in the context of disability which is you, I I heard you say that um, you realized that you need to, to change because your son needed that, right? Mm-hmm. Most people look at it like you're the one who's disabled. You need to change, right? Mm-hmm. And then they proceed going about give, fixing them
2: or giving them a recipe to fix themselves. Right, right. right that. Yeah, that's a great point. And recently, and I recently means just in the last two or three years, I see people address that issue that you've brought up. Um, so for example, with my son, even up to 10 years ago, the message was always, oh, we're going to find a way to fix him. All the kids on the autism spectrum, we can find ways that are going to Like if you do A, B, and C, if you do this special diet, not that those don't help, it's helped us a lot. But if you do the special diet and you do this special repetitive training and you do this special visual thing or certain kinds of therapy, we're going to fix your child to be functionally independent. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but that puts the pressure of failure on my shoulders as a parent and my son's shoulders that no matter how much of that we do, he may not become functionally independent. But that doesn't mean we're failures. That is, we do our best to help him be more independent and do the best he can. But he's who he is, where he is, and you have to have love and patience and acceptance that you're going to do the best you can but you can't expect a person to become normal it just doesn't work that way and in recent years i see much more uh messaging that it's like we have to meet people where they are that the world doesn't have to change every person but maybe the world could change a little bit to match people where they are and so that's been helpful for us but there's not enough of that
0: mm. And uh, maybe the problem isn't that people aren't becoming normal. It's us not being able to question what is normal mm-hmm. and answer to that question. Right. And why that even exists and is so embedded in the way we go about living. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: go, oh, go ahead, Crystal. Uh,
1: we uh, talked a little bit of- ago about the pandemic and the different issues that are, arose from that situation. And um you, know, you would certainly think that I mean that was like five minutes ago. <laughs> no. Um uh you would think people would remember how they felt and how isolated they were and how hard it was for them to not be able to uh, go out and do things and be normal you know um, and that for some people that is never gonna change and and they go and the normal people go right back to no. You know what they were doing before yeah, uh, forgetting about how
2: you know they felt what that isolation felt so your point's great and that opens up a big discussion but then going back to what Mark was saying as well on the same theme because that's a good segue is um yeah what's normal and I think that people with disabilities whether you could see it or not for example for our family at a glance you can't see that there's something off with our son but within about a minute he may do some kind of unpredictable behavior or vocalize in a way that's kind of loud and not appropriate for the place within a short time people say oh something's off with that kid and I say kid but he's 26 at this point so um I think that from not D- too distant past people that were different just didn't go out into society. And even if they had the physical capability or the physical supports um that a lot of people, like those of us in the autism community, sometimes our kids' behavior just gets so out there that it's really hard to face people staring at us and thinking that our kid is just bad behavior when it's not just that. So what I'm saying is in mark's comment about what's normal is unless people are out in the world and people can see people with differences nobody's gonna see that as normal so in over the past years we've fought really hard and it's still difficult for us but we've fought very hard to get our son sean out and so people see us and people see us having to guide him i mean when we walk around there's two adults holding the hands on both sides of our 26-year-old son. And people get that, oh, well, that young man must have some sort of disability. So we're out and people see us. And now people are just kind of like understanding and see that kind of thing. But that's just one example of just that people need to be out in the world. But it's hard to be out in the world because sometimes we get a weird, um, you know, feedback from people like staring or comments or something. Not so often, but it happens. So... One of the things that I've been trying to work on, and again, it's mostly within the autism world, is that in our local, so I'm in the San Francisco, I'm in San Francisco, so in our broader San Francisco Bay Area, there's a, uh, you know, there's an autism society, the local autism society group they try to have activities where families feel that they can sort of create a mini normal environment for their families. They just had an event where there were like 400 people and it was all families. I thought I I did not go, but I thought, wow, that was a big event to organize. And those families were able to go. There was a DJ and singing and a little talent show. I was like, oh, those families went and had like a food, party, picnic, music thing. And for that three or four hours, however long it was, they had a, a an artificially created normal environment for them where they just felt free to be themselves. And that's great. And for that, also for that autism society, one of the things I try to do is I, because my hiking, my website's about hiking and we enjoy that for our son I once a month lead hikes for families. So any g- family that wants to kind of try hiking or just join a hike they've never been on, I do that once a month. And it gives people, caregivers and the individuals, a chance to feel like they're just in a normal group. They don't feel like the outsiders in that. But again, we're kind of having to create that artificially. Um, so what I hope through those efforts, like when our the Autism Society has events like that or my hikes through them, that the families that were able to overcome that sort of shyness or fear, there is anxiety about going out in the world, that if they could go out for a group event for a hike or a party like that at some big park, maybe next time they feel confident enough or brave enough to just go out as their individual family, even though there's not the support group of all the other people with a similar disabilities. But I think that's a huge, it's still a challenge for my family. So, and I'm for the autism situation, but I know this is an issue for, there's different layers of issues for the different disabilities people may have.
0: Yeah. It's uh, really difficult to get out there without a, without an adequate support, depending on who the person is. Um, because yeah. if, whether it's said directly or indirectly, there's a sense that you don't belong here. Whether it's um, their movie posters for movies with no disabled people in them or whatever, or huh? somebody comes up to your face and says, yeah, I, You shouldn't be here, or whatever.
2: Mm. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of shocking to think that there's still people that might do that. But um, I guess that's true. When we, when our son was younger, and we were just realizing that, you know, because sometimes autism sneaks up on you as a kid ages out of like the three-year-old tantrum level. You're like, oh, this isn't a three-year-old tantrum. There's something else going on here. And as time went Mm -hmm. on you know, like we would get the looks and the stares or comments and it really made us not want to go out. Um, But then, you know, you work on it, you work on it to help your child have better behavior or at least less disruptive behavior. And then we're just out there. I mean, we go hiking with our son every Saturday, every Sunday, every non-school or like post-school program. day. He's out well, and speaking of the pandemic, he was out on a trail 365 days in a row because there was wow. no program support for him during that time. Yes. So, you know, we're out there on a trail someplace. And if people who are on a hiking trail see a quirky family with this kid holding hands with both his parents, so be it. You know, that's that's us. And we're out there. Mm-hmm. So we've become a little bit braver about it. But honestly, mm-hmm. this is sort of a little mini confession for me we're still intimidated and a little bit isolated because even when we see those big party type events for all for autism families listed, we're, we're just kind of like, oh, that sounds overwhelming. I don't think that would be a good match for us. Sean would be probably overwhelmed. Just the thought of it makes us tired. So even for our family that helps lead other families to come out, we're still overwhelmed. There's things that we still don't feel kind of brave enough to face the exhaust. it's exhausting to go out.
1: I kind of want to touch on that. I know we're trying to we're gonna talk about the pandemic thing, but um, it is so uh interesting to me, um a lot more people right now. Are being diagnosed with autism, and a lot more people are accepting it and not chastising when you have that in your life, you yeah. know. Um, so it must be very, uh You must be able to look at that very optimistically and it must be a lot easier to deal with that having more support and more people that are willing to be understanding towards it toward what you do in hiking autism and for your son, too, because There's more people around him that are like him, or understand why he's doing what he's doing, or you know they're doing more research on it, or because of they have somebody in their life that deals with it, Mm -hmm. or you know they're they're just they they want to be a better person and be more uh uh, they want to be uh I can't think of the word um
0: more
1: empathetic. They, yeah, but yeah, yeah. To to the fact that there's different people have different abilities mm. and struggles. And they can't be like can't live in a, a narrow lens. You know? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, that that's a great point. And um that brings to mind two things. Uh, one is an example of that is um, we ma, all my, my husband's Japanese, his family's all in Japan. My family's from the East Coast. They're actually spread around every place except here on the West Coast. So both of us do, don't have the support of our extended families, except that I had one set of cousins who happens to live nearby. And they always very kindly invited us and our two boys. That's the only chance our boys... You know, including Sean with his severe autism, we would be invited to family holidays and things. So it takes a lot of courage for us even to attend a sort of extended family event. That is still makes us feel very self-conscious that we're going to be the odd man out. We're going to disrupt an event. So. That went over the years, but we we would go, you know, we would go for a Christmas event or a Thanksgiving event, and it was great for our sons, and they everybody is very welcoming to our to Sean, despite all his options. The people were great. But as the years went on and my uncle and aunt passed away, it was just the cousins and they would invite us to family events. And it might be kind of a farther drive away. We thought, oh, that might be stressful for our son. And I have to say, this is a funny thing. You know, even up to two or three years ago, we're like, oh gosh, we don't see that extended family anymore. It's good for our boys to also see those family members. But I would get an invitation And I would be writing, uh, oh, sorry, we can't go text or email. And I'd be in tears because even after all this, after all these years, the thought of the exhaustion of trying to drive far away and then show up at a place where we worry that Sean's going to have a hard time and maybe he's going to have a behavior issue. Maybe he's going to have a meltdown. I would be in tears, you know, here I am the hiking autism lady and hot lady, but I would be in tears of just the exhaustion emotionally of trying to face taking Sean out in the world even in a friendly environment. You know, it just lasts for a long time. So I can say successfully this past weekend there was sort of an important family event for that extended family with the cousins things and we said that's it we're going to go and we just got ourselves up and we went and Sean did great. And he had a couple of little autism outburst things, just mini ones, but everybody was great. And people are very understanding, but that's in a known environment. And Crystal, what you're saying is true, that there there is more understanding. And people are really wonderful compared to just from lack of understanding. You know, we have to say that people- Not understanding is part of the problem. It's not mean spirited necessarily, but so that was one point is that even for our family, it's hard and it's an ongoing challenge. But the other specific point I wanted to mention is um, on the theme that you were talking about, about this awareness is growing and that more people have autism or being diagnosed. So it's, it's a growing situation. So that should mean that we have more understanding and support and awareness. And, that is true to a degree, but um, one of the people that works in this community here, her name is Jill Escher, E-S-C-H-E-R, I'll just say, because she's really dynamo who does a lot for uh, autism and a lot for the severe autism community, and she just wrote an article, which I thought, boy, I wish everybody could read this, and it was called um, The Autism Surge and it was talking about ongoing issues. Um, it was a great article, but it mentioned even with the awareness and even with more people being diagnosed, it's still, it still leaves us with people who don't understand. That's okay, but it still leaves us with our hands full of actual challenges that are difficult in caring for our family members or caring for ourselves as caregivers, because some of us are getting, you know, as we get older, we may not be able to care for him as well. Then we worry what happens when we're older and not able to care for him as much. So there's a lot of challenges that um, it helps to have the added awareness, but this large number of More and more people being diagnosed with and more people like Sean who are aging out of school because the school system guarantees you five days a week of some activity. When you age out at 21 or 22, you can just fall into a black hole. And and that brings us back to the whole pandemic thing we mentioned was that the people who went back to normal as the pandemic world opened up again, for those of us with disability issues... The support system has not bounced back because people cannot afford to live on the caregiver uh, pay levels. And so that's one huge issue that we're seeing affects our daily life. They're, they cannot get enough staff to go back to full time at the right. special needs care facilities. So maybe you too have seen something along those lines as well. Um. Definitely, it, it goes back to what I was saying. It's kind of like
1: uh, you remember that, right? Those issues haven't changed. They're still here, and there's still something we're doing with, you know. Yeah. But so many people have forgotten, or are kind of just like in the past, brushing under the rug and you know go about their lives because. It doesn't bother. It doesn't deal with me. Um, you know, but <laughs> it's that is su- it's such a bad place to be in because, you know, you can be disabled at any second. You know, mm-hmm. oh um, yeah. you can have a new diagnosis at any time.
2: Right, you know? right. Yeah, I think um. There's a difference between you two have talked to me, like in our previous conversation, talk about the difference between if this has been something that you've dealt with for many, many years, or if it was like a sudden onset or a later onset in life, how you deal with it is uh, different. And um, yeah, the uh, the sudden onset in adulthood is a big shock for people and all of a yep. sudden, they're enlightened with, oh, look at what these other people have yeah. been dealing with their whole yeah. lives, but they weren't aware of that before, you know? And then you
1: also mentioned um, the support systems that as you age, mm-hmm. and that he's not going to have anymore. you know, um, or not to the ability you can be now, Right. Um, you know, and eventually, you know, and that's what we want to do. We want to enlighten people and tell uh, explain the issues, show them those things. and um, we're not the experts at all. So we we want to share the issues and then hopefully an expert, Will be watching and say, Hey, let's maybe we need to figure out how to make that different because we want to build a world where when those parents and support systems aren't there anymore, they're just what's
2: going to happen to our kids. I mean, this is really, um,
1: yeah, and that can mean emotional, physical, and mental support from all sides. You know, um and we can make sure though we uh we gotta make sure all of that is in place. Mm-hmm. You know, and while you know those things are not gonna be perfect, they certainly need to be a lot better than they are now.
0: And it's very and, much a, sorry. <laughs> sorry, and if also better.
1: coming from the pandemic, um and that too. Um if you remember any of that and then you can't take away from what you learned from that process <laughs> mm-hmm. and and you can't apply that to what you see, the issues you've seen, the you know um the disparities and all the you no know, inequality stuff going on. If you can't remember any of that or you weren't able to take anything away from that then it's really sad Mm -hmm. you know Um, and it certainly helps mark and i be able to discern who we want to keep in contact with Mm -hmm. and you know who's really paying attention to the issues who's really listening to you know be, who really wants to be a problem solver? Who really has a good heart? Mm-hmm. You know, that's huge. I'm Go ahead, Mark.
0: <laughs> um. Thank you. Uh, I'll, yeah, a lot of during the pandemic, we sat back and watched a lot of big companies, especially just not even pay attention, to just get rich off of other people's misery. You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah,
1: it's still a thing. Somewhat. You know, it's getting better. You know, slowly things are getting, you know, somewhat. Some companies are getting better. (laughs) But it's not all going to happen at once. I mean, there's... Um... Levels
2: people well, that's get, yeah. what I mean. What you're just saying, it's not all gonna is it? Uh, I, as you both were speaking, I'm thinking the clock is always ticking, right? So, mm-hmm. as a parent, so you two have whatever your issues are that you deal with, whatever it is in your life, whether it's related to disability or not, you're like, oh gosh, here I am at this point in my life, I'm a parent or I'm a child of older parents, and or for my own life, what do I know? to do in that clock? Ticks along. And for me as a parent, it's like, oh, how am I going to help my son? And that it's like the sand, you know, the hourglass sand is draining very quickly. And, um, same for myself as a person, like you can't just be a special needs parent. You actually have to be a person for yourself as well. And all of that is, you know, life. goes away in these segments of time and so like what is it that you want to accomplish like you two are working on something that's going to help other people be more aware that maybe bit by bit there will be a better situation for everybody with disabilities or at least with certain pockets of it but as a parent uh, and I say this usually at once in every interview I try to say you know my initial thought of what is my job as a parent and I thought when I first had kids that success as a parent is measured by um, they don't have to go to a fancy university. They don't have to get a fancy job. Success as a parent is that you were able to get your child to a place where they're an independent, functional adult. That if I was gone, my child would be okay. They would be able to, you know, Work enough to feed themselves and have a roof over their head. Just the very basics. That if you could do that for your kid, you succeeded as a parent. Well, I, I, on that basis, I'm a failure. I cannot do that for my son Sean. He's 26. Unless some miracle happens, and I'm not saying that miracles can't happen. Maybe it will, but at this point, it does not look likely that he will ever be able to live on his own. We can't even leave him alone for 10 minutes in the house. We would never leave him unsupervised in our house for five minutes. We He always has somebody to keep an eye for safety things. But then you have to shift your idea of what, you know, then what is your job as a parent and or any caregiver who loves somebody with a disability. And so then I have to shift gears and think, oh, how can I create an environment where when I'm gone and my husband is gone, somehow we'll believe that there will be a caring safe environment for our son and you know as you said people kind of forget that the the things people learned during the pandemic about awareness of this isolation and things we had where everybody needed more help well now we're back to where we were and it's very very slow going to keep that awareness up and to actually put concrete things in place so your podcast is one way to really help the awareness and talk about these things. But, you know, putting concrete, helpful, logistical things in place is really tough, even for very smart, motivated people. It's, it's slow going. I, I think that,
0: um, that it's a function of, the society we live in and the whole system and the whole foundation is broken um because like there're certainly good parts of it and great parts of it even that allow people to thrive but i'm speaking to independence and you no know, but if if you're a mom feeling like you're a failure and the society is expecting you to be independent, you're all on your own with no support from anyone, um that's there's something wrong with that picture. Whereas in other countries like um like in Africa or I don't know how it is in Japan maybe in parts of India, if something happens to the parents, the whole village steps in and does what they need to do. It's not that the kid goes out and says, oh, can you help me? Can you help me? The people have to step in and do that, right? right? right. And we just don't have that in this society we're
2: in. Mm. The everyday person does not, understand how the most basic things can be a challenge. So for example, uh, sometimes my husband is teaching at the museum on a Saturday because he's an arts guy and he teaches at one of our local museums. He works there sometimes on Saturdays. So on Saturdays, I might be alone with our 26-year-old son who outweighs me by 30 pounds, and he's taller than me, (laughs) and I have to work out to just be able to guide him if I need to, but he's pretty good. He's my favorite hiking buddy. We go out, we have a great time walking, but simple fact of life. If I'm out for a hike someplace, at some point on that trip, either when we first park or when we get ready to go, I want to use the restroom and go to the bathroom. I have a 26-year-old young man in tow with me. So, and maybe he wants to use the restroom. And there is not, first of all, we have to choose a place that has bathrooms, right? But in modern days, there's been more like family bathrooms where there's, you you see a lot more awareness that like, hey, you might have family members that need to help maybe an aging parent, or maybe it's a family member in a wheelchair that you need that bigger bathroom that's just their bathroom. Sometimes we see that, but usually we don't. So in terms of like, I get very anxious thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to take my son into the men's room because then the men would be weirded out by me going in there. And I'm like, well, I have this 26 year old young man and I'm going to drag him into the ladies room. So I have to overcome that every time I'm out alone with my son and people don't think that should be a big deal but it is. And so when I scout out the bathrooms, and I see (laughs) there's the ladies room, sometimes what I do is I'll kind of verbalize and somebody else called one of his helpers used to call it playing the autism card. But it's kind of a way to make people aware of what's going on. If I have to stand in line at a ladies room, at the women's restroom with my son holding his arm, I just say, I will sort of chit-chat with him out loud saying, okay, Shawnee, wait, we're going to wait for the, we'll wait for the disabilities, you know, the big uh, stall to open. And then the women in line understand that I have a disabled family member and that we don't have any other choice. That's what we have to do. But, you know, every single time I do that, I worry that somebody is gonna be either uncomfortable with us standing in line or angry with us. And you know what? Everybody's wonderful. Every time people are very kind, they, either they say nothing or mm-hmm. they give a nod of the head with a friendly smile. But I worry about that every time. And people don't realize the anxiety. And, you know, it's, it's overwhelming to try to do simple things out in the world. And people don't realize that that's, that's a hard thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I can also I wrote down. Okay, so I've been having some interesting conversations about a topic dealing with autism, and in this community, it goes back and forth. It's it's an argument within the autism community, and I wanted to know your outlook on it. <laughs> um. Some autistic people um uh they prefer to use the hashtag or the openly say I'm actually autistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um and then you have people who have maybe not been diagnosed, but they definitely have some of the you know some of the same uh statistics or same you know um characteristics um and it's a it's a hard one to i mean i see both sides i guess but what are your thoughts on it
2: that is a great topic um um Yeah. Sorry about the dinging here. i it's like, that's one setting. I can't turn. Yeah. That is a really great topic. And I, you know, so I am a content producer with a website that relates to autism mm-hmm. and, you know, I follow these. So in one sense, I follow along and watch that and, and it, and it shifts and changes over the years on the, on the flip side of it. I was like, I'm in the trenches, you know, People can have these arguments about this, that, and the other thing about who should be acknowledged as autistic or not. And I sit back and say, you know what? Walk a mile in my shoes. Every hour of my day is is controlled or affected by my son's severe autism, which he has no ability to control. And we do our best with, but all of you guys having these arguments... Is doesn't really match up with the experience of this is a thing that's come up from that very thing. The difference between high functioning, very bright, capable, functional can have a job graduated from regular school. Maybe they did get a diagnosis of being at the high end of the spectrum, like Asperger's or something. Maybe they got into their thirties and forties or fifties and had never had a diagnosis, but they realized by reading stuff that, oh, you know, I think I'm on the spectrum. Well, I think a lot of people are a little bit on the spectrum. I think I'm a little on the spectrum. Right. You know, people have some of those traits. A lot of people in my family do not, not that they've been diagnosed. So that higher end arguing about if you didn't get an official diagnosis, you don't count, or it now the another hashtag besides the actually autistic is neurodivergent, or then there's autism awareness, autism acceptance, and these little mini fights break out. And I always kind of say, well that's a great luxury for you to all fight about it. You could be helping each other and not making an argument about who counts and who doesn't. Because the thing that has come out of all those arguments at the high end amongst people who are articulate enough to talk about that is the hidden people in the background are the people affected by either we call it profound autism or severe autism. My son, Sean, cannot stand up and have a conversation about this he can't say hey stop arguing about this guys you know some of us are really in the trenches here just trying to get through an hour of every day so for for those of us dealing with a very profound level of autism you know I'm like okay you guys can have that argument about there but it's not really moving anything forward you know And I totally agree. Uh, Yeah, 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 totally agree. But, uh, you know, um, and then there is a bit, again, from that argument that you're talking about, a thing that has come out is a little bit of a headbutting between just that sense of, hey, I can talk about it and I take pride in my neurodivergent brain and this is a plus for me. That's great. I have many, most of my life has been spent with very smart engineers scientists or musicians or artists who I think are all a little bit on the spectrum great (laughs) that's my tribe and I appreciate all those differences that's what I grew up in so the spectrum thing is like it, it looks like a plus for me because I feel like the creative interesting people I know a lot of them are somewhere on the spectrum but it doesn't mean that you can argue that oh you know, you don't get to claim any understanding of that or any part of it for yourself. And what it leaves all of the silent, unvoiced people like my son, down by the wayside in the mud puddle, because they're not thinking about kids who can't speak for themselves. So that's where those of us with, and there are many of us, but our voices and our children's voices are less heard in those arguments, because we're we can't join it. Our kids have no voice. So
1: what you just said perfectly
2: is is a
1: sediment to what they were talking about, the back and forth.
2: And here I am in the middle <laughs> trying to um Yeah, like you say, there's good points on either side. I understand both of those uh, yeah. feelings. And it's like take what you
1: see from the side, take what you see from the side. Work together and come to a uh, make make life make people's lives better. Yeah. Don't find oh things God. to argue when further there's enough people that you know that are trying to divide everything. So, yeah. so what if you're labeled different or not labeled or whatever? you're all
2: neurodivergent sure. and <laughs> yeah just no that's right
1: a way to work together in you no know, advanced society you know
2: yes. i and you know it doesn't have to be the autism spectrum to say neurodivergent we all you know yeah, what if you have a speech processing issue that's not autism so you know everybody's got something and so we yeah we could all work together and not argue about who gets credit for it you know right right
1: because we would certainly not be where we are as a society without those neurodivergent minds Mm -hmm. and those engineers and all those technical people that you spoke about you know
2: so your point is great because it brings up the next thing, which is, and this reflects way back to what Mark was talking about earlier, a little different view on it. But that, um, you know, what's normal and what has value or doesn't have value? So, oh, yeah, Einstein was probably autistic. Well, he was valuable because he was a genius. And so if you were on the spectrum and you were somebody like Einstein, well, that's really Great. That was valuable. Well, so then somebody like my son, Sean, who actually is a bright guy in his own way, it's just not connected with the world um, and not functioning. He has a lot of challenges, but he in his own right is a very smart guy and he's a loving person and he's fun when he's not causing trouble. And in his own right, he is a valuable person who we love. He's a lovable person who has whatever he has to offer to the world. And we can't just look at high functioning and low functioning as valuable and not valuable. Each person, like Mark said, in other cultures, the person who was very different Maybe in some Aboriginal cultures, those people who were very different were looked at sort of in a special high regard as bringing some special magic or special ambiance to their community. I mean, I it's it is very easy to feel like low functioning people are not valuable. But as a mom of somebody who has such challenges, I can't I can't look at it that way. You know, he has to feel loved every day. And that he, when he goes to his program, that somebody's going to be happy he's there.
0: Yeah. Further to that, um, that's a good point, Lisa. Further to that uh, actually autistic conversation, you know, um, depending on which side it's from, I guess, it's it seems like a very reactive thing, like the world has excluded us. So we're going to invent this hashtag to exclude the wor- the people we don't like, mm-hmm. right?
2: And, that, and it's exactly not going to get anywhere because it's just yeah. repeating the same pattern. It's counterproductive, right? They're doing the same thing they were upset about people doing. That's really true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: When, when Mark and I initially talked about it, you know, I was upset because... It seemed to me very passive aggressive. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm actually autistic. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of othering oh, their yeah. own community, you know. For
2: sure. It,
1: it, it was upsetting to me because, it you know, our mission is... To unite people in the disability community, regardless of their disability—not just autism—but right. but we don't want to see any community within the community, you
0: mm-hmm.
1: know, othering each other.
0: And if you look at it from just a practical standpoint, not a human. Uh, standpoint you just take all that out of it just suck at it from a practical standpoint. What movement or idea or significant change has come from keeping people out? Right. There's none of it. Any right. any big movement, whether it was like a political or social movement or it It welcomed everybody and didn't exclude anyone. Right, right.
2: You know, I
1: do. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, no, go ahead. I
1: do also want to preface here that if anybody watching has uh, a better explanation about actually autistic and know what it really means and not the passive aggressive thing that it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um maybe that would be a good thing to comment on and join us in the conversation.
2: Yeah, and you know these things go in waves. I've been watching that kind of go up and down over the years. And again I'm like as I always say I'm like, all right, guys, well you go have your argument over there. I'm gonna help my son take a shower, right. you know, right. use the bathroom. Mm-hmm get ready for his program. I mean, we is like, sorry, you having that argument at this level of whether you're going to include or exclude people (laughs) is so unhelpful. So, but one of the experiences I've had um, in the sort of the hiking autism website, is just a website of information. And that just always has a welcoming message to everyone. It really isn't even geared towards autism specifically, just kind of has the name, but the, that website really has weekly messages that are uplifting for anybody, whether we had a disability or just facing a tough challenge in life. So okay. the website message is just generally an uplifting thing for all people. But the other volunteer work I do for the Autism Society, leading people on hikes, now I've been doing that for three or four years. And that's very interesting because one of the things that's come up is Well, I always say, oh, I'm leading families with an autistic family member on hikes. But what we sometimes get is just individual adults who are on the spectrum, who are able to drive, hold down a job, but they have a lot of challenges with finding social interaction and um, they may not have you know they may not be as comfortable in the everyday social life that they might find with their co-workers so they'll see a hike for the hiking you know the autism society listed and they say oh you know i want to join the hike so sometimes we'll get individual adults to join the hikes and even at that sometimes people have a hard time feeling like they've got enough of a connection because we have so many people that show up with either young kids or adult kids like my son. So you've got parents, you've got a caregiver and a family member who's severe enough to need that help. So then when the people that might be using the actually autistic label or feel that they fall within that community because they know they've got some um, issues related to that, they'll come up and want the community of being on one of those hikes. And even within you know, me being as trying to be helpful and open and welcoming as I am, I'm always very welcoming and and enjoy enjoy having people come along, but it's harder for them to feel they have a place because so many of the people are parents with kids. And so the people dealing with the level where they could even be using the actually autistic hashtag, it's again, a different kind of isolation because maybe they're an adult who doesn't have parents thinking that they need extra help. And, um, you know, it's again, God, this is hard to say. Sometimes I think that the higher functioning and higher level a person is, the harder it is to get support or feel supported. Because if you see my son, Sean, everybody's like, oh yeah, that kid needs help. But if you are an adult who's very bright, has a job, drives to your job, does your grocery, you know, all those things. But maybe your issues are social interaction. Uh right? that's harder to get anybody to understand you need some extra support. And so I always, I feel that's very tough to get. It's tough to reach out and get support when you're so high functioning, people won't see that you need any help. It's hard.
0: And especially if you've been masking for a long time and people, people are not, like you've been hiding your real issues away for so long yeah. that people don't really know that this is the thing to look out for.
2: Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, and so that's another great point, that issue of masking. So you can be the individual with a disability who's masking, especially like the autism one people talk about that, but I know, I've never heard anybody say this, but you know, you can be a parent who is masking because Especially when kids are younger, parents don't want everybody to know how challenged their kids are because we think, oh my gosh, if I do enough stuff, I'm going to, you know, back in the day when this was still, we were thinking we're going to fix our kids because that's what we were told. What many of us parents were in a sense masking by not letting people know how big our kids challenges were. And so then it becomes a double thing. Um, So, for example, with Sean, his challenges are so big that even if we parents were trying to not let everybody see how hard things were, at some point, everybody could see it was hard, right? But here's the double whammy is if you are, for example, a teenager, say you're a teenager and you realize, geez, I sure have a lot of things on the checklist for the autism spectrum, at least, for example, like the Asperger's level of traits, Or you might be having a harder time socializing or communicating. You might focus on things and not be able to steer back towards what the other person, you know, things that can be a challenge. And again, so if you're a teenager doing that and you've learned to mask, you've already got that challenge, right? What if your parents were also masking and say, oh, no, no, my kid doesn't have any challenges. So then you've got the teenager who has issues and the parent's who do not want to recognize their issues. So then that could become a lifelong pretentional. Yeah, that yeah. you, you don't and have to ironic you're... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. The sorry.
0: ironic thing is that uh, you end up making more problems for them than you actually wanted to. And maybe even more problems for yourself. Yes. Because let's say you're out and because you don't want to bring too much attention to the issue. You don't do the things that Sean needs to maybe soothe be soothed and then the outburst just get bigger.
2: Yes, that's right. And so we yeah, that's totally true. Or what the choice for so many of us is what well, we're just not gonna go anywhere. We're not taking him any place. So we've overcome that over the years the best we can. But again, like I said, we may have um you know an invitation even to a family event with an understanding crowd and i'm still emotionally overwhelmed to the point where like i i just can't face the exhaustion of trying to go to that event it's just too tiring so yes, so you could have isolation from it or just pretending there's nothing wrong and then it becomes a bigger issue Um, i'm
1: really i'm really glad you brought that up because um And so many disability arenas, um, you know, especially when they're born with their disability, it starts with the parents and how they accept their disability and the way they treat them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they mask it and in turn teach the child that they should have to mask what they have going on, then that sets them up for failure or detrimentally just advantaging them in the future. You know, and it's always so interesting to me to talk to different people, you know, whether it be my age or older or younger with my Catholic, um, to talk to people that are able to see, oh, this happened and this happened, and I don't want to do this going forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to set up a world where they know that they're accepted and they have the support they need now, even though I didn't do that in the past.
2: Well, so I think we might have touched on this exact issue. I think we might have said it in one of our previous conversations a little bit. I, I feel like this came up. An example of what you're talking about is, uh, for example, when a child is born with some hearing issues
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: is. or, so for example, the autism, a lot of autistic kids act like a deaf person. They're not deaf, but they're having a lot of auditory processing and speech processing issues. So they function like a deaf person would, even though their hearing is fine. So in either of those cases, you have a child with a certain level of deaf hearing impairment, or you have a person on the spectrum, a kid on the spectrum, who's having a lot of problems processing language. Okay, so, and I think we did mention like, oh, somebody will say, as one stepping stone, you could teach your kid and the parents could learn American Sign Language, for example, some sort of a sign, doesn't have to be whatever country, and you'd learn sign language. And many parents would say, no, 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 we don't want to do that, especially if it was the kids on the spectrum with the speech delays, because they'll say, no, 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 we want them to just learn speaking. We don't want to do the hand symbols or, like, the picture systems. And I understand parents do that. We did. I remember we did talk about that, but, you know, <laughs> that extra tool can open up things that's going to unlock some of the other things that's going to allow that kid to develop. And in the meantime, as you say, it's what they need now to have some communication. So that is, and it's a tricky thing because parents get caught up in like, wait, what's the right decision? Am I going to be blocking them from learning to actually speak by letting them use sign language? And then it's this, um, it's the sand, you know, the the hourglass with the sand running through. The parents are like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Is it a mistake to spend a couple of years doing sign language? Am I going to lose their, you know, there's always that decision making about you're losing time to fix things. And but unfortunately, a lot of times it falls on the side of not offering the tools that will help. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's that is the parent trying to mask. The situation instead of looking out for the child with the disability who is screaming to communicate in some way, you're enabled or disabling them from doing so. And so, what that they need a board or whatever Mm -hmm. they need to speak, Mm you know. to be able to communicate what's going on in their mind, you know, that, why, why are people making that not want to happen?
2: Yeah. Well, you know? here's sort of a guilty confession uh, as a mom at early on. Okay. So for example, nowadays, if you look at TV commercials, You see all these commercials about probiotics, like help digestive health, or many, many, you see just all these information about people with gluten-free this, or dairy-free, or food allergies, and now that's like the common thing. Everybody under the sun acknowledges, oh, you know, my body doesn't work very well with this food, or I actually have a real food allergy, or Uh, they take some kind of a digestive system support and they feel better and they function better and their brains work better. And this is just like, it's like a huge commercial thing that big corporations are making money on because turns out that, you know, the way your digestive system works actually affects your brain and your emotions and how healthy you are. It's like, okay, well, we all accept that now because it's on every other commercial, you know, if you watch TV. But back when Sean was younger the sort of early end people working in special needs nutrition were saying, oh, you know, some of the kids benefit a lot from changing what they eat. And as a parent, you've got eight voices out of 10 saying, oh, don't listen to that crazy stuff. You know, you already have a hard time getting your kid to eat anything because a lot of kids on the spectrum have a very limited diet, like to an extreme level, like extreme. And um the other two voices out of 10 will be saying, oh, yeah, try that. We've heard that really works for people. Well, it wasn't until Sean was maybe, oh, gosh, 13 or 14 before we finally really experimented pretty strongly with um you know, that maybe he did have food allergies and maybe there would be a difference in how he felt because he was always had like a terrible cluster migraine headaches. He'd be on the floor, you know, kicking and we it looks like a meltdown or a tantrum, but, you know, laying on your tummy, kicking your hands or feet, banging your head, um, biting people, being aggressive. Well, you know, we had gotten, this was one of those early childhood things where do we do it or do we not do it? And it is such a hard thing to change an autistic kid's diet because they're so picky to start with. But sure enough, when he was 13 or 14, we worked really hard and it took a while, but we figured out a couple of food items that were actually causing terrible problems for him. And I sometimes think, and I hear other parents of the same thing. I think, gosh, if we had done this when he was three or four instead of 13 or 14, that would have been an extra 10 years where he would have had an easier time, that he wasn't in physical distress, that his brain would have been less foggy and would have been functioning better. But you know what? He did better when we changed some of his food things when he was a teenager, and it's really helped him a lot. And I can only kick myself so much for not having it done right. 10 years right. earlier because it wasn't as clear. But it's the same thing with like um the masking stuff for the parents yeah. who right. don't want to admit their kid has a challenge, maybe with dyslexia or something else that they don't want to show that their kid is having a struggle with, you know? Right. Yeah. And right. like... The, please, the, <laughs> uh, go ahead. The
1: idea is not to... um <laughs> you know our parents or anything the That's... the idea is to uh so that people understand masking
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's not just the disability community that takes on masking but we were brought up that way mm-hmm. you know and even our parents not having anything to do with mm-hmm. disability especially women, we're taught to mask, you know, yeah, uh, and put on a face, literally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and put up your hair perfect and in you know, all the stuff, you know. What is the difference?
0: Yeah. It's all generational and systemic stuff that's been taught to us like mm-hmm. um you no know, as young parents with the with a newborn a child that's having some issues, mm-hmm. right? Natural tr- as first time parents, maybe you're scared and you don't know what you're doing. So you're relying on the information your parents are giving you, which they got from their parents, which may be misinformed or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you're relying on these doctors that have their own biases Hmm. that are giving you information based on those biases. And you're going forth and
2: imposing them on your child. Right, right. That's right. Well, and you know, the thing is, we want to feel that we have good medical care or good people, uh, you know, guiding us for our child's care or our own health care. And I like to feel like I've always had great doctors that I've been under the care of or that my son's been under care of. You know, you want to have faith for whatever it is in your life that you have to go, you know, maybe it's an ingrown toenail. You still want a good person who knows how to but right. You know, right. But when it's a more complicated stuff um, for kids on the spectrum, even to this day, it's very hard to find medical people who really, really understand uh, what autism means, because even as Crystal, you were talking about the people doing the actually autistic and what that means. So, you know, I laugh when I hear about these arguments and stuff because I say, well, what are you guys all claiming your claim to fame that you're actually autistic? Because autism is is really just way a way of saying that you have some number of a constellation of various symptoms. If you have enough things from column a and column b and column c you could say you're on the autism spectrum autism in and of itself is not a disease or it's it's a it's a way to say oh i have a set of neurological and biological and maybe developmental challenges that add up to a diagnosis of autism so back in the earlier days if my son was having terrible migraine headaches repeatedly for years, which were horrible and affected his ability to function every day, maybe one of our pediatricians early on, for lack of a better uh, solution, they might say, well, give him some Motrin or something, but they'll say, oh, it's just part of his autism, you know, some people on in the in autism have. These migraines, uh, and now like no, you know, a migraine or whatever other symptom or a digestive system is a physical symptom that you need to treat as that. And now we're finally having doctors who are looking at, oh, this kid has digestive system issues. Oh, they have a specific neurological issue, like maybe epilepsy or seizure conditions, or. They're having some auditory processing issues, and they break it up into the specific symptoms that add up to that one person's autism thing. But in the old days, it was just, oh, that's just part of autism. No, it's a specific thing that needs to be dealt with. And so... That's sort of a roundabout way that comes back like the parents masking thing like even for parents we don't really know all of what's going it's like the blind right. leading the blind it's all like sort of a mysterious mishmash of stuff that's very hard to right you find it, it definitely
1: um i, I feel like and not just feel like but it's evident um In so many areas that you know, uh, people have been telling people how to feel and how to ignore your instincts, ignore your inner voice Mm -hmm. and what's inside you, and do what we say instead. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if a lot of people would go back to Some of that internal instinct and internal faith, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It would be so much easier. People would be so more, uh, more empathetic, Mm -hmm. and a lot of problems—not all the problems, but a lot of a lot of them would be solved.
0: Right, and as far as the. Um, health practitioners go like especially doctors um, there's a lot of that empathy then leads to humility and admitting that okay I don't quite understand this problem so i have got to tell parents or whoever that I don't know and this is who you should go see but a lot of them end up because they want to fulfill their own ego or whatever, um, they end up giving you a diagnosis that doesn't really apply, or they come to some wrong conclusion and think it's right, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, um, I, you know, my husband, and I say this all the time the people we most, res- most respect. whether it's the medical field or anything, are the people who have the confidence to say, you know, I don't have the answer to that, or I'm not the best person because I don't really understand that well. Right. Even if they don't have a better person to recommend, I like somebody who is confident enough to say, hmm, I can't really give you a solid answer. Here's the best I can do to try to help you with that. Because When somebody gives you a false sense of confidence and gives you an answer when they know they really don't know what they're talking about you could lead you down you know the wrong track uh, for sure yes definitely and that's so
0: something to be aware of that's why it's so important to get a second opinion and third opinion like i don't I haven't really dealt a lot with the American medical system, but up here, sometimes the danger is you know, there's so many going through a public medical system. Okay. There's so many people going through it that sometimes you could just get people giving you an answer because they just want to move on to the next person right. and get through their day. Yeah. It's right.
1: more of a business than
2: actually wanting to help people well you know that's funny because you're in canada with that situation and so my older son who is very functional ended up getting a job where his job required him to move to london so now he's in england and if he has a health issue he has to go through the national health system and so he's had a couple of experiences and of course we all complain about the u.s where insurance is expensive and the health care is expensive But now that he's been there a couple of times, he was really like, geez, I really need help with something. And they're just like, no, no, just go move along, move Mm -hmm. along. You know, you're not dying. Just go away. You kind of like, or feel like there was a very long waiting list or somebody wasn't really listening when you're like trying to refill a prescription and that they didn't get it right. And then you try to call back and you can't get the right. I mean, it's very kind of... um, yeah, sort of like going along the conveyor belt, just kind of pass it through the system. And so I, I actually, as expensive and difficult as the medical system is here, I realized, well, I'm at least grateful for the good care of you know the people that we do have. I'm like, oh, well. In a way, you get what you pay for in some ways. But the problem is that not everybody can pay for good health care. But if you can manage to scrape enough to get a good physician, it's really a valuable thing. Because um, my son has had some experiences in England where it's great that it's there, but you don't really feel like they're looking individually sometimes, I yeah, think. Definitely. Yeah, Um Anything else, Mark?
0: Well, Lisa, it was certainly nice to speak to you and see you again. Um, and uh, we could talk about a lot of things for a long time. <laughs> Very easy to talk to, and uh, yeah, we appreciate all of the support that you you've given us.
1: For sure, yeah. There's been a couple people, uh, and you're definitely one of them. So. We love you, Ford, and
2: thank you so much. Well, thank you, too, and keep up the great work. I am just still as supportive as ever. I think you're doing a great thing, and it helps me open my eyes to the world as well uh, of how to make things great. better. So thank you both very much. Thank,
0: thank you. you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.